Open God's words with me, if you would, to Genesis 1-1. I know that each, each year as we, we sing the familiar Christmas carols, Sometimes it's hard not just to kind of gloss over it and we sing rote because we know those songs. And, but it's important that we pay attention to the words. Um, there's, there's a message there. That's why we sing them. And part of that is to be worshipped from our hearts to God's. And, and he knows our hearts when we're singing. And if we're just singing because we always have and because they're always up there and it's the same Christmas carols we sang last year. Refresh your hearts, okay? Refresh your hearts and refresh your focus. Um, At the end of O Come All Ye Faithful, Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Genesis 1.1, we touched on this last week. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And when God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, God called the light day, And the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning one day. Father, we thank you for this time together as we look into your word. Um, Thank you that you created light for us, Father. And we look forward to the day when we will be in heaven where you will be the light. There there won't be any need for any created light. Father, we, we, we look forward to that day earnestly, um, just with our whole beings. We, we look forward to when we will be with you for eternity. And Father, just as we look into your word this morning, soften our hearts, open our eyes, uh, that we might see you more. And we thank you in your son's name. Amen. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. Now we're going we're gonna to flip a little bit right at the beginning, but then we'll settle down. It won't be quite as bad as last week where your, your fingers got tired. Flip with me right now, though, from Genesis 1-1 to John 1-1. And we spent some time here last week as well. John 1-1. I know that iPads and iPhones are convenient, but I do love to hear the turning of the pages in the scriptures. And that, that gives me a clue, too. I always like to give you a few seconds to turn. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This one, he, this one, God's Son, was in the beginning with God. Again, at the end of O Come, All Ye Faithful, Word of the Father now in flesh, appearing. That's, that's what Christmas is about. That's what we celebrate. 
is, is God humbling himself and his son taking on the form of a servant, taking on the form of a man so that he might die for your sins and for mine. That we know that before the foundations of the world were laid, before God created man, that God had a plan because he knew that the heart of man was going to follow the heart of Lucifer and that we would want to be like the Most High, that we would want to be like him, we would want to have the knowledge that he had. Verse 14 of John chapter 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory through his Son. We could not look at him directly. We could not see God directly and live. He is holy. We are not. But he gave us his son that we might see God through him. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So in the beginning, God created. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And now we're going to turn to our, our key passage today. And I'm just going to dare say, I'm not, I'm not a betting man, but in this instance, if I were to bet, I'd bet that not too many of you would have this scripture on your top five or ten Christmas scriptures to turn to when you want to read about the Christmas story. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of First John. I knew my notes were in there somewhere. First John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we beheld, and our hands handled concerning the word of life. There we have another name for Jesus that we can add to our list from Isaiah 9. The word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and appeared to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that our joy be made complete. Okay, how many of you that, that that passage is on your top 10 Christmas reading list? Probably not. But, but this is the Christmas story right here. And from the beginning, we have heard what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld. There, there's a, um, a New Testament scholar by the name of Robert Yarbrough. And he says the verbs in this passage correspond to the varieties of witness attestations in ancient jurisprudence. 
He wrote this a long time ago using those words, okay? And so when John writes, we have seen to it and we testify, and then it speaks of hearing, seeing, and touching, he's not making conversation, but he's virtually swearing a deposition. As, as, as he witnessed it himself, as he saw it. And if you remember in our study in Acts at all, that, that there has to be at least seven, seven witnesses to convict somebody of a crime under the Roman law at the time and in their courts. We know there was 12 disciples and there were many others. But he says, we have, we have heard this, we have seen it, we, 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 will, we, we can testify in court, we can take the stand, we can take the oath, that, that we swear to tell the truth, the truth, nothing but the truth, because we were there. We have seen it. We, we, we touched him. We've seen him, we beheld our hands handled concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested. We have seen and bear witness and pro- You could just, um, for some reason, this, this past year, I've, um, another pastor, before he left the area, was trying to par his, his library down, and he was a huge John Grisham fan. And in this past year, I've, I've read several of the John, John Grisham, but, but he's, he, he was a lawyer, and every, every book has, a, has lawyers in it, a lot of lawyers. Some of them I breezed through rather quickly and <laughs> threw in the trash. Lawyer stuff gets old in a hurry for me. I'm sure it doesn't to lawyers, but to me it gets old. But it's, it's, it's always about the, the witness. And, and when you have experts come to testify in, in, on your behalf to support your case, whatever it might be, and, and the witnesses try to validate uh, they're, they're, they're smarts. I'll just say it that way. They, you know, I, you know this, this guy has so many, so many years of experience. He's got his master's, his PhD, and, and, and he's been written up in these journals, be it medical journals or whatever. A lot of times it's medical stuff. But he's, con- he's con- considered and declared an expert when he has firsthand knowledge. He doesn't gather what everybody else has studied and say, oh yeah, this is what I think this all means. No, this individual himself has studied it and become an expert because it becomes their life. It becomes who they are. And so they can stand on the the witness stand and testify that this is truth, that this is the way that it is. And John says here, I'm, a, I'm an expert witness. I saw the word of life. I walked with him. I talked with him. I prayed with him. John, John was one of the, of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. He was there at the, the Mount of Transfiguration. He was, he was there firsthand in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew what he was talking about. He had the the experience of seeing this himself. He he wasn't depending on other people telling him something. He had seen it and been there himself. He says, 
We have seen and bear witness, proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and which appeared to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. Why? There's two, two, two reasons, John says right here, that, that they wanted to proclaim what they'd seen. Uh, a, a witness on the stand doesn't testify to what you saw, doesn't testify to what you saw. He testifies to what he saw, what he knows, what he experiences. And John says, we want to proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. On the, on the back bulletin board, it's still there on your way out on the right. What is the percentage of people that come to church because the pastor invited them? Six percent. What's the percentage of people that come to church because you, you invited them? Eighty-six percent. Oh, the pastor, he just, he, that's his job. He gets paid to invite me. He, he only invited me because he has to. John says, we're going to proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. We want you to be part of us. We want you to have what we have. Does the world want what you have? What do you show the world? What do you portray? What do they see in you? Is it something they go, <laughs> I think I'll pass on this one. Or do they see Christ in you? Do they see something that they yearn for, something that they want? They want what you have. John says, we proclaim to you what we have seen, heard, touched, felt, experienced. We proclaim that to you. We proclaim Jesus Christ to you. We proclaim to you the miracles that he did so that you might be part of our fellowship. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 4, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. If you know Jesus, I don't believe our true joy is going to be complete until we're with him in eternity. But as close as is possi humanly possible for our joy to be complete in Jesus Christ can only come about if we have fellowship with him. Think back several, probably a couple months ago, many, many weeks ago, when we went to Hebrews 10, 25, in that passage where it says, people always use it to beat you over the head with and says, you got to come to church every time the doors are open. But they take it out of context because what that means, what that whole passage says, is we need you to be here because you're part of the body. And you need to be here because you're part of the body. We, how, how, can we, how can we grow in love? How can we grow in fellowship if we're not here? We need you to be here. You need to be here to fulfill your part in edifying and building. A, I, I like the words. I'm going to turn there real quick because I don't have it memorized. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And here we go. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We can't do that if we're not with one another. 
if we're not having the fellowship. We can't, we can't push each other to love. We can't push each other to, to getting closer as, we can, as, as close as we can be in our humanness to having our joy complete and full. Again, I think we're only going to realize that when we see Jesus face to face. But he, he as, as our Heavenly Father, He intends for us to experience joy. I don't think there's, there's any father in here that would, they would say that as their kid was growing up, they hoped he was a total failure and a disaster and an embarrassment to the family, right? We want our kids to be successful. Our Heavenly Father wants us to be successful. Now, our, our, our idea of success is different from the world's. But I would say from this passage this morning that we can say that success is having fellowship with the body so that our joy may be made complete. 3 John verse 4, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. As, as a parent, that should be our, our hope for our children. Is that we have the privilege of seeing them walk in the truth. And when they walk in the truth, they'll be walking in the fellowship and their joy will be made complete because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. John was, was an eyewitness and he's testifying to what he saw. If, if, if salvation was not real, if, if the Christmas story didn't actually take place, then the Bible is just a bunch of nice stories and good thoughts. And especially if you go to Proverbs, you know, those feel-good things that help my head get in a good place. But if Christmas is true, then you've been bought by the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast, for we are his work, verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. He's the potter, we're the clay. As our Heavenly Father, He wants to mold us into the type of people that will yearn for, that will glean from the fellowship of other believers that our joy might be complete in Jesus Christ. Because like that song says, and as the Word says, the Word of the Father now in flesh appearing. He came. He actually came. So we know the Christmas story is true. We know that we are not our own, but we are bought by the price that He paid for us.
that we may be of the fellowship and that we may have our joy complete. In, a, in this book, Tim Keller talks about spending time with some of the religious leaders uh, of different religions around the world. And the, the one thing that he found in, found in common, he found in common that they all have is none of them have a personal relationship with their Savior. That is very specific, very special, very singular to Christians in their relationship to Jesus Christ. Never has, has Buddha or any of the other ones sought to have a personal relationship with their followers, those that would believe and trust in them. And he said it's just really, really unique with Christianity that we have the privilege and the opportunity. Remember at the moment that Christ died and that veil ripped in two? Giving each one of us direct access to the Father. He wants that relationship with us. He wants us to have that fellowship with one another, but he wants us to have that relationship with him where we we bring our cares to him. For those of us that had a stinky, lousy week, cast your cares on him. He wants that fellowship. He wants you to have fellowship here with us. But he also wants that communion with you directly in a personal relationship. In the, in the Christmas plan, the infinite became finite. The extraordinary became ordinary. He was born in a stable. He was a homeless refugee. We'll see in a couple minutes. He wasn't born in a palace. And the visitors that came to the hospital, oh no, I'm sorry, not the hospital, the stable, to visit him were shepherds, smelly old shepherds from the field watching their sheep. It wasn't a bunch of A-listers. It wasn't like, whoa, it's here, the king we've been waiting for. No. He was born very ordinarily in a stable, placed in a manger, and shepherds came to celebrate his birth. It wasn't the rich and the famous. I'm going to read a, a, a piece here. The Christmas message itself participates in this ordinariness and commonness so offensive to the world. When I was a new young pastor in a small town in Virginia, there was a number of dilapidated homes and trailers surrounding our church, inhabited by people who were poor and who had many social and personal problems. Occasionally, one person would say to me that it was wrong for our middle-class church to hold its services in the midst of that neighborhood without reaching out to its residents. One day, a deacon in our church and I walked across our church parking lot to visit a woman who lived in a rented house. She was a single mother whose broken relationships with men had left her impoverished, depressed, 
living somewhat in disgrace in that conservative traditional community and raising her children with almost no help or support. We sat down and had a long talk about the gospel, the glad tidings, and she responded with joy to the message. She trusted in Christ. I came back to see her about a week later, and when we sat down, she burst into tears. That week, she had called her sister to tell her about her conversation with me and about her new faith. But she'd been laughed at. My sister said, let me get this straight. This preacher told you that a person like you could do all the foolish, immoral things you've done in your life, and five minutes before you die, you can just repent and trust Jesus and be saved just like that? He told you that you don't have to live a really good life to go to heaven? That's offensive. It's too simple. It's too easy. I'll never believe that, and you shouldn't either. Her sister thought that salvation had to be a great feat achieved by noble moral deeds. It couldn't be something you just asked for. The ordinariness of the gospel had offended her pride. I told the weeping woman that her assurance and comfort were not unfounded. We went to the Bible and studied until she clearly saw that Christ came in weakness and smallness to save not the proud, but those who admit that they are also are weak, that they're small, that they need a Savior. Her joy returned. The ancient tidings of Christmas still make people glad. The Christian life does not begin with high deeds and achievements, but with the most simple and ordinary act of humbling and asking. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1. going to take a, a few minutes look at Joseph's faith. Next week we're going to look at Mary's faith and then, yeah, that was just the introduction, folks. <laughs> and the, the week after that we'll look at the shepherd's faith. Should put the bookmark back in the right place. Matthew 1:18 Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit And Joseph her husband being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her desired to put her away secretly But when he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. 
And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he, Joseph, called his name Jesus. Over to chapter 2, verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I call for you. And Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Down to verse 19. When Herod was dead, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the child and his mother, go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he arose and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he departed for the regions of Galilee and came and resided in a city called Nazareth. That, was, that what was spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever wish that God would send you an email? <laughs> and tell you exactly what you needed to do? Joseph... And I'm sorry, all I can think of with grandkids, all I can think of is angels in the outfield. (laughs) Joseph had an angel several times. How nice would that be to have an angel come and tell you, do this, go there, stay there and tell, wait. I'm told my my dad was killed in an accident when I was six years old, so I didn't obviously have a lot of growing up memories with dad. But I'm told that he was a good carpenter, that he was good with his hands, he could build things. I think of my father-in-law, who's with the Lord now. And after his years at GE, his, his hobby was to do things with wood. He didn't build things like furniture or cabinets, but he would make toys. I mean, his joy was to make toys for the grandkids. All sorts of toys. Phenomenal Christmas decorations. The, the intricate stuff that, that he could do. Even in, he, had a, he had a stroke probably 20 years before he passed, and he could still do it. It took him a little longer. And he'd make a few more mistakes as far as breaking them. And he, he would never try to cover up on those. He just threw it in the trash and started again. I think of, think of my son. He likes to do that stuff with his hands too. I think of Dale Miller. Dale Miller is good carpenter. He's good with his hands. He... He does build beautiful furniture. 
And there's something that, that I find seems to be a common thread through these men. And it's, none of, none of them are, are flashy. None of them say, hey, I'm here, I arrived. Notice me. But they're solid. They go about their work. They, they tend to be quiet. And they get the job done. And they do it well. And Joseph is a carpenter teaching Jesus. I, I, I don't know. I wasn't there. I can't testify to this. But I just wonder if Joseph didn't have somewhat of that same type of personality that a carpenter has. A little more quiet, a little more reserved. Doesn't have to be the front page. Doesn't have to be the splash. Doesn't have to have everybody notice him when he walks into a room. But man, did you, did you ever notice that when the angel of God told him to do something, he did it. He didn't sit there and argue with him. He didn't say, hey, we need to have a discussion about this because I don't think this is the way we should do it. What did he do? He went. He did it. Joseph arose from his sleep and did his thing. Oh, Lord, get me in the morning. I haven't had my coffee yet. It's, it's the middle of the night. I need some rest. No. Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife. That's a pretty amazing thing in that culture. That he would still be willing to take this woman who to the world had so obviously been unfaithful to Joseph... He arose from his sleep and did as the angel commanded him and took her as his wife. And he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he, Joseph, called his name Jesus. Verse 21, back a few verses, the angel is saying, She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Joseph was obedient to that. He called him Jesus just as he was too. Verse 13, the angel appeared to Joseph in the dream, saying, Arise, take the child and his mother. Verse 14, and he arose and went. He did what he was told to do. And you know, that's how we let God know that we love him, is that we are obedient to him. It's kind of hard to do everything the exact opposite of what God tells you to do, but say, oh, I still love you, though. I love you, Lord. Hadn't thought of this while I was studying this week, but here we go. Our talk talks and our walk talks, but our walk talks louder than our talk talks. How are you walking? Which way you walk in? Is your walk doing the talking for you? Are we obedient to the Word of God? Are we obedient 
to who He wants us to be, to what He tells us to do. Just think it's... So, and I'd never, I'd never thought about that before this week in, in my time in studying about my dad, about her best dad, about my son, about Dale Miller, and, and just the personality that they are, the, the, the quiet strength that you see through them. He called, he did it, he went. He arose. When the angel told him to call his son Jesus, he called him Jesus. Jesus. We know that every knee, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess the saved and the unsaved. Every knee will bow before Jesus. Before the one that was there in the beginning with God. And from the beginning was the Word and was the light. Christian life begins not with high deeds and achievements, but with the most simple and ordinary act of humble asking. That grace is real. Christmas is real. God's Son humbled Himself, became obedient to the Father, and humbled Himself and came to earth so that we might have a means of salvation. And folks, please, if you don't know Jesus, as, as John said in 1 John verse 3 and 4, come, come into the fellowship so that your joy may be full. And just as he said in 3 John, that he would have joy to hear that his children were walking in the truth. Heaven rejoices. God would have joy when you come to him if you don't know him. If you don't know Jesus, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and know him that you might have fellowship, that you might have joy in Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the light. And thank you that you love us, that you want a relationship with us, Father. That you want us to cast ourselves on you, to rely on you, to depend on you. Father, thank you for salvation. Thank you for your son. And we thank you in his name. In Jesus' name. Amen. The sign up